Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share financial information that helps you both in your life and financial vineyard. We hope it takes you from your roots to the journey of your vines and the influences in the air that helped craft your delicious life. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. We are excited to have back on the show, Chris Dow. Chris and I talk about all things related to grief and helping those that are going through grief. And we have a fantastic crossover episode that we want to share with you. So stay tuned for more information that Chris is going to be releasing as you listen to this podcast. We hope you enjoy this show. We hope that as we enter into the end of 2021, that you and your family are able to spend some time to celebrate with each other. And we hope that for those of you that have lost people in their lives this year, that you know we're here for you. We've actually been through it ourselves and we want you to know we are here to listen. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, Chris, it's great to see you again. Uh, One of the uh, privileges I get is whenever I get a chance to actually sit with you and spend time with you. And and now with the new recording uh, software that we have, we actually get to see each other, not just hear each other. Um, I'm so thrilled that you've come back as a I guess it's kind of a co-host more than anything today as we do a crossover episode. Yeah, I would agree. (laughs) Um, It was episode 27, Chris, that you are on um, back, gosh, when the show with Wine and Dime was really, really new. And I'm so thrilled to announce that you have also taken that leap and released your own podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Congratulations. Thank you. And you are on 100 plus episodes now. Is that correct? That's correct. You're an old hat. (laughs) Almost 200. Yes, you're an old hat. I appreciate being on episode 27 and I appreciate being on this episode. I'm I'm very grateful. And I want to first kind of step back and say that I'm very grateful for our relationship. You have done wonders for me and supporting me. So I don't want to um, miss that aspect. But I will answer your question. Uh, why did I you know, start my own podcast? Well, it kind of goes back to what I said before. It's really good support from people like you and telling me to, you know, and encouraging me to tell my story and how it can help other people. 
And, you know, beyond that, I had been getting requests over the last several years to hear my experience. And that was in the form of speaking. And, you know, people were asking me to speak, whether it was on podcasts like yours or whether it was a formal speaking engagement. And about two years ago, I said, well, maybe I should look at this podcast deal and see what it really is. And I was like, well, you know, that's a huge undertaking. And I don't know if I really want to do that. And a year went by and I was like, well, I have to do something. And so this summer, I had an opportunity to take a free marketing class. And so what I knew what that was going to do was going to push me in the right direction. And so it was a six month, excuse me, it was a six week boot camp marketing class. And it forced me to be accountable. And I had to record a couple of episodes. I had to get some brutal feedback. Some people said that, you know, you basically are terrible (laughs) in the first couple of recordings. And it wasn't so much the material that I was presenting. It was just the format and the way that I was uh, presenting it. And so I got some very critical feedback that really helped me. And then I went on this venture and, you know, I'm here now and I've released, Mm -hmm. you know, I think at this point I've released formally three. I have 12 recorded and, you know, we're doing this crossover and it's really been a great journey and I can see where I've kind of come from and, you know, where I am now. And I remember this from my father. He said to me, you know, when you really find what your passion is in life and it happens to be your career, it never feels like work. And I never feel like I'm working, even though I'm probably working harder than I've ever worked in my life. (laughs) So (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) You know, what's interesting is we talk a lot about courage um, when we're talking about people doing the things that they love in taking that leap of faith to do what they love in a lot of ways. And you definitely have a story. And by the way, you have a fabulous radio voice. Like I knew <laughs> one of the first you. times that when we did our first podcast together, I was like, oh man, I think I said to you then, Chris, when are you going to start your own? Because I think we're at 188. Uh, right now for releases. So it was a while ago um, when when you and I sat down, but that radio voice is always engaging anyways. But then to to learn that we're not alone and to have the courage to share that, that story uh, of whatever our life, whatever path we've been on, I think is so important so that we can learn from each other. And we know that we're not alone. Because life can feel very lonely. Um, you and I have talked a lot about, about our about being financial planners. And one of the things that people often say to us as financial planners is, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know more about money. I mean, that's probably one of the number one things that people say to me. And I'm like, why? It's not like you were born to understand finance. Like you didn't, you know, it's it's not an in, innate skill that you know, right? We were, we were born to know how to breathe and to know that we're hungry and to do other bodily functions, but we weren't born to understand finance. So why are you embarrassed by the fact that you don't know finance? And then when it comes to grieving, everybody's different and how they grieve, right? Everybody has a different approach as to how they grieve. And there's no right or wrong on how people grieve, but there is some really good research 
on sort of the stages of grief. And from having take, taken your courses as a financial planner, you teaching other financial planners how to help clients, we're often reminded that people slip in and out of those stages. Like it's not this, okay, I'm done being angry. I'm going to move on to the stage. <laughs> Anger comes and goes and people deal with things very differently. And, and your podcast talks about that. It shares, first of all, it starts out by sharing your journey, which I'm going to make people go listen to your podcast to actually re remember your entire journey and why you became the financial planner you are today. Um, but it also gives education around grief. Why did you feel compelled at this time to really put that out there? Why? I know you said you took this class, but there's other probably driving forces? Yeah, that's a good question. The other driving force is to be very specific. So in probably the last six to eight months, I've had a lot of my close guy friends that have had some serious issues in regards to whether it was a death in the family or there was something that they were dealing with. And I know that people at this juncture in my life look at me and if there's something that I'm dealing with and I'm willing to share it and I'm willing to normalize it, then other people are willing to do the same. And it's okay to, you know, go see a therapist as a man. It is okay to go to the doctor as a man. It is okay to cry as a man. It is okay to share your feelings with your kids as a man. It is okay to display emotion to your kids as a man. And so that is really what pushed me over the edge as people were coming to me more often. And I could see that there were people that were coming to me that I didn't even know that were friends of friends. I recall a friend, uh, a single mother, she was a friend of a friend. Her son was having some severe issues in school. And they were so severe, uh, you know, talking about possible suicidal threat, excuse me, suicidal thoughts. She called me and I walked her through some of the things that I went through. And then I gave her a release valve in regards to speaking to a therapist. And I said, I see a therapist on a regular basis. And I would categorize when I started seeing my therapist, I was in a struggle phase and now I'm in a flow phase. And um, so it, it, it ebbs and flows. And I just know in my life that I need that release valve because I am generally the person that is first to the finish line in regards to the minutia in life. And then other people kind of fall in line after me. And so I'm able to provide that guidance as kind of an example. So that's a really good question. Yeah, it's always, I, I think from my perspective, again, as a financial planner, um, you know, one of the reasons why people often come to us is because they're looking for that third party advice, right? But as you know, this past year, um, things in my life changed, right? So I wasn't just the person that would be a third party. I was in the middle of a very significant caregiving um, adventure, I guess you want to say, or journey. Right. 
um, my husband definitely um, was the person that was providing the care to his mother. And it, it certainly changed our lives because we were making every attempt we possibly could to keep her in her own home and to not have her go in facility care in any way, shape or form. But it definitely, it definitely provided, um, some insight and some experience that I could in the past only theoretically look at and three of theoretically, um, help clients plan for. Now I've been through it, right? We lost my mother-in-law earlier this year, about a month and a half ago. And we went from this full onset of caregiving, knowing, knowing that she was ending, like she was at the end of her journey in life. We, we knew that. Um, so we knew it in our head. We knew it in our hearts, but you can't actually, you don't actually feel it until the moment they've taken their last breath. Then the emotion starts to kick in of, okay, she's actually gone. And how do we then adjust our lives to be what became the new normal and now isn't normal? It's foreign again. So there's like these waves of different kinds of adjustments. And to me, that's the grief of it. Like there's major, major changes that happened in our life. And that that was each section, like her diagnosis, we had to deal with the grief of her diagnosis initially. And then we had to deal with seeing her just basically, you know, become sicker and sicker and sicker. And then she was gone and we had to deal with that. And as I listen to your timely podcast <laughs> releases, it really helped me. It helped me personally, like think through, okay, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of things that we've had to just deal with. You know, we've had to just um, make decisions and we've had to just deal with these things. And now the body is, saying, okay, the urgency of life has just changed. And I mentioned to you when we were talking before the podcast starts, my husband and I are trying to figure out the new dance with each other because he was down to his mom's most of the time. And so I sort of was home by myself when I was there and had the whole house to myself. And now all of a sudden he's like, there. <laughs> right. And, you know, so it's this readjusting of what normal life looks like. And, um, you know, that's something that I, I am spending some time trying to focus and, and you know, adjust to. And, and some people, it's the opposite way. Some people, it's they're there, they're there, they're there. And then all of a sudden, they're not. And that loneliness that comes with that is a true emotion. It's a true adjustment. And so listening to um, one of the things that re I remembered from your class, as well as um, when I listened to your podcast, your second podcast, where it sort of walked through, you know, some of the feelings that people are going to have some of the stages, if you want to call it that of grief, sure. that I, you know, I think that's important for people to 
understand that you also ebb and flow through those stages and that it's not, you know, step one, step two, step three. It's, it's sometimes all, all of the stages in the same day, five minutes apart. Right. So, um, so I think it's important for people to understand that there's, there is a journey that you go on, whether it's a job loss, a family member that passes a divorce, Grief is the loss of something. Correct. Absolutely. And you certainly have huge experience in your life with with a lot of grief. And in your first episode, you mentioned and shared your, your journey with that. But I think that that makes you not just a somebody who can empathize or sympathize. It makes you somebody who can actually empathize when somebody is going through that in their stage of life. And you've been a huge resource to, to me over the last six months. Um, as we've known, you know, what was coming down the road. (laughs) So we appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm here for. That's um, my gift to bestow. Well, it's a lovely gift. And, (laughs) This podcast that you're releasing too is a lovely gift because it's something that if, you know, you may not be going through it now, but you may know a friend that's going through it and you can help them by learning about some of these topics. So you mentioned that you have three out. Correct. And you have 12 recorded. Correct. Give us a preview of what some of these are. Um. So another one, and I think I'd mentioned this in kind of the opening, was about my experience with child loss. Uh, that's going to be a big one. And that was probably one of the hardest ones for me to do. And that's going to be a preview. And that's, I'd say that's kind of taboo. People don't talk about, you know, that if it, if it happens, you kind of brush it under the rug. Uh, that's going to be a big one that I, I'm, I'm talking about. Um. Another one's going to be about my brother. My brother and I are going to be podcasting together. Uh, that will be very interesting because my brother and I were enemies for the better part of almost 40 years. And now we're on the other side of that where we're just about best friends. And I, I think a lot of families, you know, can appreciate, you know, some of that dynamic and sandwich generation. You talk about, I wasn't the sandwich generation when I was taking care of my folks because I didn't have children at the time. However, I was doing everything for my parents and I have friends that are going through that. You know, they have parents that are living at home with them and they have young kids. And, you know, it's a lot of just my experience um, kind of going forward and going backward and, you know, things that I have done, you know, with and for some of my clients to so talk about, you know, try not to be taken advantage of during the holiday season, some things to look out for, um, you know, some powerful protocols after a loved one has passed away, what you should do or what you should look for, you know, some of the documents specifically that you should be looking for. And then some of the professionals that you should be, you know, engaging as well Mm -hmm. and, you know, who you should be really relying on. And then some tips, one of, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. My experience 
continues to go on and I feel like it's it's full fold. I, I learn so much so quickly now. I had an experience with a buddy recently whose um, father passed away. And I mentioned this buddy at how he was extremely helpful to me. And, you know, when my parents passed away, he took a trip, he took a week off work and he flew and he, you know, came to be with me. And I felt forever debted to this, you know, buddy of mine. His name is Mike. His dad passed away. And that was my opportunity to show him what he did for me. And he was like, man, you were so helpful. You were Johnny on the spot for me. And you really did what I needed you to do. And I said, Mike, now you know how I have felt for 13 years about you, my friend. And it's just stuff like that. And um, being able to help people. I, I have a podcast that talks strictly about communication between siblings when you are caring for a parent. I wish I had known that back then because it tremendously would have helped my brother and I out. But I found that information since and it's powerful and it's not rocket science. It's just, you know, communicating who's able to take care of things and, you know, who's not and what are your limitations? So those are some of the things to look forward to, you know, in the future podcast. Um, I'm interviewing some other folks. I am interviewing a gal, um, a lady that has dementia and that rocked my world. I met this lady two weeks ago. I met her at a conference, at a virtual conference. And I never could imagine in my mind someone that has dementia and can tell me how it feels. And so there's a lot of misnomers out there, mine included, about someone that has dementia. And I kind of go back on my experience with my mother. My mother when we found out she was in the late stages and she couldn't articulate um, how dementia made her feel. And um, Jane is this um, lady's name that I'm going to interview. And she has really educated me on, you can't really see somebody and say that I see you and I'm looking at you and you have dementia. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, she said it very eloquently to me. She's like, it's like, um, you know, you looking at, uh, you know, President Obama and saying, well, how did you become president because you're black? Um, a very stymie um, stereotype. And it, it hit home and it, it made sense to me when I said that. And she's like, she said to me, there is a YouTube video that you should see. Um, and it's basically called You Don't Look Like You Have Dementia. And I told her that before I... Um, put her on my podcast, I have to watch that video. I need to be more educated before, you know, I, you know, interview her. So it's just stuff like that that continues to increase my learning curve. And that's an extension of helping other people. I know when I get her on my podcast and people listen, they're going to be, wow, I had no idea of mm-hmm. that, you know, that this was even kind of a thing. So it's, it's stuff like that. Yeah, if you get a chance to, well, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but there's a movie called Still Alice. Um, and that is a movie about a woman who actually catches dementia early. Um, and then this her story is kind of documented. It's right. it's really amazing. And 
one of the reasons we, I think it came out in like 2014 or 15 in that time frame, And that was around the time that my mother-in-law was diagnosed with early stage dementia. So it was right. really interesting to my husband and I, and we recently watched it not that long ago. Once again, I think we just found it on Netflix and thought, oh, you know, we should watch it again. And it was, it was, a. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, documentary uh, about because it's actually a real life story. Right. Um, so it'd be a great, a great research movie <laughs> for you to watch as well. I'm adding it <laughs> to my list. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> movie too. Um, yeah. So you know what's interesting about all of the the uh, the episodes that you you've recorded and that you are recording is it's from different angles and I wanted to hone in on one about the cl- the communication between siblings because fortunately in our family it it really went quite well um but there's also another component that I think a lot of people don't always um take into consideration and um so my mother-in-law was terribly afraid of going into a nursing home. And she said to, to my husband and to his brothers numerous times, more as a demand, but honestly, in my opinion, it was, you know, her pleading, but she'd say, don't you dare put me in a nursing home, you know, and she'd shake her finger at them when she would do it. It sounds like a demand, but in reality, like I said, it was a plea, like, please don't put me into a nursing home. Right. When it came time for her diagnosis of cancer, though, um, and and her, you know, seeing her weakness just continue to to get, um, I guess, weaker and weaker each day, it wasn't the dementia that was the problem anymore. It was this other disease that kicked in that was much more seditious than dementia was ever going to be. And when it when the decision had to be made about not putting in her, her in a nursing home, it was a decision that the boys wanted to uh, agree upon, but it's a financial decision generally among one, not necessarily among all. So in, in I, I bring that up because I think that that need, that's where some bitterness can sometimes occur. Um, and that communication needs to be really strong. Like Brent and I sat down, we knew that he was going to be the person that was going to be her primary caregiver because he, he really already had been. Right. But that meant that he was not going to have any income the whole summer. And, you know, that's a financial consequence to, to us or was a financial consequence to us. It wasn't going to stop us, but we still needed to know, like, what does that look like? What do we need to cut back on? How do we need to adjust our spending? What do we need to do to make sure that that financially happens? And then on the other side, what do we need to do to make up for the fact that it happens in retirement savings, in um, you know, in in the way that we save for other goals? Like, how do we come out of this at the end and make sure we financially make up for those items that we had to give up? you know, the summer. And when I say had to give up, I understand that it was our elective to give it up. Right. Right. In some households, that piece, that part doesn't get talked about. And so then, you know, there's, that's where like the, if, if things aren't exactly equal at the division of assets at the end, then there can raise some, uh, raise some suspicion 
about, well, you know, you only did that because of this, or you only did that because of that. Now, you know, that wasn't our case and we made sure it was well communicated, (laughs) but it was well communicated because I wanted to make sure everybody knew like Brent wasn't getting anything out of this. You know, this was, but, but that was important to me, probably more so than to his brothers, because I had seen where it pulled so many other families apart in my 26 years of working in this profession. I have witnessed where that piece, that component messes up the family in a situation, in a grieving family situation. Yeah, I see that as well. And there's always always a fight over generally over assets at the end, no matter what the relationship was, if there are any assets that, you know, to be had, there's going to be a fight. Someone disagrees with something and it's heightened, you know, when you have grief. Fortunately, you know, I draw from my experience, fortunately for my brother and I, there were no assets to be had. So we didn't have to really worry about that. Uh, There was no inheritance for us. But on the flip side, generally what I've seen and I'm going to put this into two categories. Say you have great communication up front, you know, with your siblings and the communication does comprise of what you are able to do financially for the parent as they're, you know, dwindling down and their health is um, going downhill. So you have, and again, I'll just use myself and my brother. So you have Chris and Mike, and let's just say Chris is able to do things financially for mom and dad. Mike is not. Well, then in the communication, you guys determine what is equitable. If Mike can't financially help, well, maybe Mike is the point person for all of the doctors. Um, Maybe Mike is the person coordinating everything. So you have that communication up front, knowing that there's going to be some inequities, but you try to solve those inequities up front. Um, And I'm going through a situation right now with some friends where there is some inequity. Mom is declining in health and one of the siblings um, isn't as involved. And the other um, siblings are feeling as that they are doing everything and they have certain views. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking them through this and I'm giving them the tools to communicate And then at the end of the day, if you're in a situation where the siblings aren't all on the same page, my advice is you as the individual do as much as you can with your boundaries in place. So you aren't in a situation after the passing of that loved one or whatever the transition is where you don't feel guilty. I can tell you that that guilt I've compared myself and I've been in situations to where I've done everything knowing that I'm not going to have guilt on the other side. Whereas I know some other people who have slighted and my journey through grief is shorter and it's more defined than theirs is because the guilt, there's no closure for that guilt. My closure has come in the form of me knowing what I can do and I've done it. And so I don't have to worry about that. Um, so that's my advice. You know, that's really that's really an interesting perspective because um, y- you had asked me how how Brent and I were doing 
And I said, I think we're, you know, we're kind of, we're getting back up on the horse and we're sort of, you know, picking up the gallop a little bit. Um, I'm not sure my pace might not be as fast as his pace. I'm not sure. Like I can't honestly put my finger on them, but both of us know that we did every, like we really can look ourselves in the mirror and say, we have absolutely no guilt whatsoever for the decisions that were made um, for her care, for her well-being, for, you know, responding to her, her requests and her pleas. And perhaps that has helped us move through that phase a little quicker because we miss her. There's no question. But we also know that, um, the end of her life was not quality. It was pain. And so, but she was home. And that, that piece, like any time that we think about her, that's the piece that we, but she was home. We did that. Like we helped her stay home. And we're so thrilled about that piece that perhaps, you know, the, the fact that we haven't, we haven't gone through the anger stage. We, you know, we haven't gone through some of those other stages because we're able to just say we did everything we could and we know we did. Right. I like to make it a, for some folks that are listening to make it a little bit um, simplistic. And as you know, I like to talk about my kids. So imagine my eight year old running a hundred yards by himself. And let's say that he gets to, you know, from point A to point B in 20 seconds. Well, imagine he is having his younger brother on his shoulders and his younger brothers is the form of that kind of ambiguous grief where you have the guilt. And now it takes him 40 seconds to get to, you know, from point A to point B. And that's how I liken it to having this other stuff, um, clouding your Mm -hmm. grief and dragging it along. Um, especially with, with guilt. And so um, that's how I would best describe that. So Chris, not to get too far into this, but now I'm just so curious when, when it comes to that. So what if somebody does have guilt? What are some of the things that they can do to try to overcome that? Well, I would say I'm always an advocate of seeking therapy and if someone had some extreme guilt or guilt of any kind, I would advocate, you know, talking to someone about that to kind of work through that. Cause they're probably thing. there's reasons why the individual may not have done things for, you know, just take my situation. If there were things that I supposedly didn't do for my parents, which is not the case, but, um, finding out why you didn't want to do some of those things. Maybe you had a bad relationship with your parents and maybe that affected your ability to want to do things. And so seeing a therapist can help you through some of those thought processes. Mm-hmm. I'm not the right person to walk through those because I'm not a therapist, but that's why I would you know, check in with a client in particular and say, are you seeing a therapist? Um, tons of great resources. And I would imagine that in some cases, you know, even prior to losing a job or losing a loved one or, you know, getting a divorce, that sort of stuff that, you know, there's, there's some, usually some things leading, I mean, there's certainly situations where it's more immediate and you don't have a chance to digest what might be coming, but 
leading up to that event, if there's time, seeking a therapist can kind of help give you guidance from that perspective as well. <laughs> I would I would agree 100 yeah. percent. Yep. Yeah. In my financial transitionist training, my formal training, um, there are generally four stages of transition, anticipation, um, ending, passage, and new normal. And so in some of those situations that you described, you're anticipating an event mm-hmm. uh, where there's a catastrophic, excuse me, a catastrophic event. There may not be um, any anticipation. You may might, might just go right to ending. So you as kind of a financial planner, um, a financial advisor, kind of understanding some of those things. And that's going to be in a future episode as well. But understanding some of those things can really help you with your client navigating some of you know those dynamics. And you'll notice on my podcast, I talk a lot about experience and I talk a lot about you know tools and things to help. And then I sprinkle in the financial aspect because it's it's relevant but in my travels the experiential piece is a lot more time consuming than the financial piece a lot more and the financial piece for you and I is very easy because we've done it for so long and we can see you know a situation and then we can produce you know an outcome or a result based Mm -hmm. on our experience and our professional training but and I call that the technical aspect. The emotional aspect is a whole different can of worms and you can't put your finger on it and say, well, this is the right course of action for, you know, this piece of the pie. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. It's not a a box you can check, right? right. It's not, okay, form done, check. Correct. It's, it's, uh, it's something that keeps reoccurring, keeps coming back up, keeps um, surfacing itself. And, I, I know over the years, one of the things that I've seen, well, often we tell people don't make any major decisions for the first year. There's certain things you have to take care of. Like right. there's certain forms you have to file. There's certain documents you need to take care of, but there's like major, major decisions. Unless there's a financial implication, generally six months to a year, because you're making, usually making an emotional decision, not right. a financial decision when you're acting that quick. But in some cases, um, what I have seen is that, especially if it's an inheritance issue or, you know, something along those lines, like, I don't even know what to do with this money. Like I, you know, I've never had this, so I don't know what to do with it now that I have it. And there's a guilt that can come along with that inheritance guilt that can come along with that as well. And, and that's some of the, those emotions need to be addressed with some of our clients as well, or people that are afraid afraid of it. Like I, you know, we've had clients, both you and I that have never been the, it's not that they've been uninvolved, but they really haven't been the primary person involved with all the finances. So now all of a sudden that just falls onto them. And they're like, I'm dealing with all these feelings. I don't, I, you know, I can't get my mind around anything other than the fact that I'm just telling myself to get up and get out of bed every morning. Those, that's where the line gets a little scary and where I think we can help with the financial decisions. Like how do we automate things? How do we make sure your mortgage gets paid? How do we make sure your bills get paid? You know, that sort of stuff so that you're not putting yourself in a worse financial situation, but it's still, now that's where it gets scary for people, I think. Yeah, I would agree with you. And through this journey and meeting great people, what it's really defined for my financial practice I have very solid systems in place 
and I have two systems in place to draw a line in the sand. One is to deal with the emotional aspect system in place. And then one is to deal with the technical aspect. Emotions drive decision making. Mm -hmm. And so even though I tell you that you need to allocate a dollar into your savings account every month because it's going to help you get to your retirement goals quicker, doesn't mean you're going to do that, even though it makes sense. But if I tell you that, and this is the emotional piece of it, when you, if you don't put a dollar away every month to get to retirement, you're not going to be able to spend time with your grandkids. You're not going to be able to travel. So then there's a different element and that has nothing to do with the financial aspect. It is all now emotional. And so those are some of the processes, you know, when I'm working Mm -hmm. with clients, I found out a lot about them up front and I call this uh, communication preferences. And I draw this from my training again. um, So my certified financial transition is training and you do certain things for clients and you know a lot about them before you even enter the financial realm. That way, if an event happens, you can look back and say, why did this happen? with your client or for your client. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a a death. It could be a divorce or it could be um, separation from work, but really understanding a lot about your client Mm -hmm. and getting more into the the technical aspect in that regard. Yeah. I always say to people, I want to get to know you before I get to know your dollars. Right. So, you know, it it is um, when we do our like prospecting calls or discovery calls. That's that's what we focus on is is those kinds of things. Like who are you as people? What what do you what are your passions? What are you um, most excited about in life? And then I'll figure out, you know, like how the best way to use your dollars or recommend the best way to use your dollars. But before I before I can even begin to make those recommendations because our values are different. Um, I really have to go get to know you before I get to know your digits. Right. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> you know, as, as you know, one of my favorite sayings uh, that I have on a lot of our literature is life of a life is about events supported by your dollars and cents. Sure. Right. And I, I really, truly believe that that is the way that uh, it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, it, it has to be driven by what's emotionally going to get you charged up or else it's just going to be a number. Right. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. Well, Chris, so we've spent the last 40 minutes with um, me sharing probably more than <laughs> you wanted to know. Um, but, you know, thinking about your podcast, are there questions that you're asking some of your guests that you'd love to sort of throw the ball in my court and, yes. and run it my direction? So I want to know why you initially asked me to be on episode 27. (laughs) Well, first of all, um, if I can remember back that far, (laughs) um, I I think one of the key things when you, you and I first met and I thought how unique to start a relationship with a client at the most, one of the most critical times in their life. When they're going through an enormous change in some cases and they're reaching out to somebody, a special skill has to be had in order to deal with 
the emotion that somebody is experiencing. And, and I think we all experience as financial planners, we all experience emotional when it comes to money. I mean, emotion is what drives the decisions, as you said. But when somebody is emotionally charged because of a loss, no matter what that loss is, there's a whole nother level of emotion that's involved. And for a person, a financial planner to choose to enter into a relationship with somebody at that most critical time, that's work. I mean, and I mean that in a good way. I, I mean it in a very positive way. It, it's not like, hey, I, you know, somebody woke up one morning and said, I think I should have a financial planner. It's, I'm going, I don't know where to go. I can't, I can barely deal with the emotions right now. And I'm just overwhelmed. And, and that's a very unique stage to start a relationship in. So for episode 27, it was really, it was that and it was the amazing journey. Like I knew that you had had, ex- had experienced some grief in your life and that you took that grief and you turned it into uh, a way to work with people. But I honestly didn't know all of the experiences that you had until we did the podcast and you shared everything with us at that point in time. So it was, um, it was twofold. But once we did that episode, it was like, wow, what a way to turn around a journey in your life in such a positive way to help others. And I'm all I, I love stories like that, where people take things that have happened in their life, and they had a choice, they could go down one road, and they could they could, they could use it as a crutch or they can use it and help others. And you certainly did the latter. Well, thank you. So our relationship is very unique. And for people that are listening, so my inner circle is very close, uh, very tight. And as I've gotten older, that's been tighter. And, you know, experiences have hardened me over my life. And I'm very picky about the people that join that inner circle. So Amy somehow was able to (laughs) sneak her way into that inner circle. And it was experiences like this. And I'd say that Amy knows a lot more about me than probably a lot of other people do. And it's because I'm very comfortable sharing a lot of those things. And there are new experiences that I may either forget because uh, I block them out or things that just kind of pop up in conversation. And Amy has said this to me. Um, you told me about this before, but this aspect is new um, that you you told me about. And so, w- you know, with that being said, one of the things that I wanted to, you know, also ask you, what has, look at when we first met and now our relationship and it's mm-hmm. timely, like you said. So what is our relationship done for you, you know, as a planner, um, mm-hmm. as a person. And I'm not looking for you to say that Chris is great by any means, because Anne-Marie, could, my wife could say the opposite. So that's not what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for, you know, your genuine, you know, what is your relationship, excuse me, our, our relationship done for you in, in those dynamics? Well, first of all, it's really your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I would They're, go with that. I- They're adorable children. I absolutely love them. Um, But secondly, um, in all honesty, when you, uh, it was after you and I spoke 
um, you were talking about, or I think you and I talked about a, like putting together a training program for other financial planners. And you took the time to do that. You actually did put together a, a program for other financial planners to attend. And everybody on our team took that, like the, everybody went through that and we refer back to it. Like we right. still go back to that training. Um, and, and when we have somebody that a client that is experiencing a loss in their life, we're able to go back and sort of remind ourselves of, of some of the lessons that we learn. But I think a key piece too, is just knowing that when, I, I think having a friend to turn to when um, that actually understands that that's not just, I have a small inner circle as well. And, and I do, um, I do, I am very guarded about my emotions, uh, very, you know, willing to share like certain stories and, and stuff, but my true core emotions, I'm a very, very guarded person. So when we, um, when we knew that uh, my mother-in-law's journey was very close to the end, there were very few people that I actually opened up to because I, I, I know that um, some people are there for me, but they really don't fully understand it. Right. And so I think, you know, I felt like, knowing what you've been through, knowing the training that you provide, knowing the people that you work with, you are one of the few individuals that actually knew how, how close to the end of her life she actually was and how involved we were in that and how emotionally that was to us as far as taxing. You know, it's just, it's very taxing to watch somebody's life end. And having that go-to person, that, that person that we, I can just say, I just feel drained today. Like it's not, you know, when you're dealing with um, caring for somebody, whether it's the direct care, like what Brent did or me on the other side, caring for the caregiver, <laughs> um, it is. You, you feel ashamed sometimes when you say, I'm just taxed. I'm emotionally drained because it's not about me right now. It's right. about them, but you still feel emotionally drained sometimes. And, you know, you don't, you, you have that, I guess there's the guilt, right? You have that level of guilt thinking, well, doesn't matter that I'm feeling drained right now. What matters is that somebody else is being taken care of. But when I say that, like when I can say that to you, or when I did say that to you, I felt not judged. Correct. And, and, and that's a big thing. Like that's the biggest thing I think um, from my perspective as both a financial planner and somebody who recently went through that um, it was having that person you can turn to, to know that, this is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly right. You know, and, and also I think just knowing that um, you, there's that little bit of coaching involved too to say it's okay to just let the hair down. Like you know, it doesn't have to be tightly curled every moment, <laughs> 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 um, whether I choose for it to be or not. Like it's okay to you know just let the hair down for a few minutes and be real. And uh, I think that's probably been the biggest gift and what I've gotten out of 
listening to your podcast, listening to your classes, just the conversations you and I have had, um, the resources, all of that has been the biggest thing I've personally gotten out of our relationship. Well, the truth be told, when you were going down the road with your mother-in-law and you told me, and this is the very detailed and analytical, Chris, I put you on that technical side in regards to checking in with you on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And so I know that's powerful and I know that it gives folks an opportunity to voice any frustrations or it may just be timely. I was feeling drained and it was just a, a timely check-in. I can remember I'm walking. I, I walk a lot now. So as opposed to playing basketball and doing anything high impact. So I was walking and I was on the track by my house and I was like, you know what? I need to check in with Amy. And so I'm on the track and I don't think you had any idea, but I'm sitting there, you know, text messaging you and checking in with you while, you know, I'm on the track. <laughs> but I know that that is important for you or anyone else that is going through that. And that's easy for me. That's the part that does not feel like work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's an opportunity for the other individual to let off some steam. Or like you said, let your hair down, um, not being judged. Because I was afforded the same opportunity and in not uh, not being judged. So, you know, I would feel guilty if I, I didn't extend or pay it forward, you know, to other yeah. folks. Yeah, I think that's the side that, um, you know, I think an, a text message or an email or, you know, anything like that is always timely. And when you know through, when somebody is going through that sort of thing, just a, just knowing that you're not alone. Like somebody actually is thinking about you or know it knows what you're going through. And if you really, truly need it, like if you just need five minutes of this is how I feel like that they're there for you. I, I just find that that's even if you don't take them up on it, like that's just incredibly um, rewarding from a standpoint of knowing that those deep relationships are there. And I don't know, you know. One of the things I think you and I do well as planners, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I do think we we go pretty deep with our clients and we really want to make sure that we understand what they're what's emotionally bothering them or keeping them up at night. Um, and, and taking a minute as you're walking or, and I'm the same way, like I'll be out for a walk and I'll send a text to somebody like thinking of you, you know, good luck on your move. Good luck on this. Sure. Good luck on that. You know, it just came to mind. I'm going to think about, I'm going to just send you a quick no. Um, I think that that genuineness of that you are th thinking of me, that you care enough to think of me is, it's really heartfelt. And I think in today's like, you know, really fast paced, crazy world, those few moments um, just are very meaningful in nature. Well, Chris, as always, it's such a pleasure spending time with you and talking with you. So tell us what's, uh, what's coming up next for you. I'm doing a lot more speaking uh, outside of the podcast. That's kind of what's coming up, so to speak, on the horizon. I'm doing some speaking actually next week for an estate planning council group uh, in the Tampa Bay area. 
Hey, wait a minute. How close are you going to be? <laughs> well, I'm going to be zooming it. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be zooming it. So um, that's what's really on tap. And through this experience and at this point in my life, um, some things I just kind of let them come and flow. Um, I don't try to be so pragmatic and just say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, even though I do have a plan. But I know that plans can change dramatically. Um, something that you did mention uh, was talking about the course um, that I have in the online training, and it's called the Advisor's Guide to Grieving Clients, and it's specifically geared towards advisors um, and other professionals, quite frankly. And what I have done, and I take feedback well, is I revamped the course to make it more aesthetically pre- pleasing and easier to kind of navigate. I had someone professionally go through that um, beyond what I had done before. And I thought it was, you know, good, but I've had people that have gone through it and said, I think you can improve it um, this much more. So I took the feedback and um, I've attempted to improve the course um, that much more. It's only a two hour course. Uh, it's very short, it, but it's a lot of the stuff that's in my mind. And you can, like you had said that, you know, you and your team refer to it, um, you know, when you need it on a regular basis as an online um, platform. So I'm a very appreciative that you had faith in me and took the course and, you know, had some of the folks that work inside your firm take the, the course as well. And um, again, I'm very appreciative of you, Amy, and our relationship. Well, so thank advice. you. Likewise. So Chris, if people want, I'm just curious, if people want to take the course, um, do they go out to your website to find it or is it, where is they it do. available now? Okay. Yeah, they, they go to my website and they could actually go to either one of my websites. I try to make it very easy. Um, if you go to my financial pr- planning website, there's a specific, specific area that says advisor training. Okay. Um, and if you go to my consulting practice, lifeaftergriefconsulting.com, there's basically buttons all over the place that say you can um, look for the course or you can get more information on the course. Mm-hmm. So what's the price of the course? The price of the course is six ninety nine. Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> I happen to think so. And um, my marketing lady um, told me that I needed to adjust the pricing based on what was there um, already. And there's some other... Um, nuances, you know, specific training here, um, different trainings there that are now offered um, as well. So that's more than I was doing before. Yeah. I think one of the benefits of taking a course like that, though, is even if you're not a financial planner, it's just about, you know, all the resources that you bring together in one location. And the fact that we don't have to remember everything. We just have to remember where to go get the information. Nor do I. I don't have to remember it all either. It's all someplace. So I'm there with you. Yeah. I think that's what makes it for us anyways. That's what makes it so highly useful is that we didn't have to take pages of notes on some of that. We just, you know, we were able to just go back and listen or um, use some of the um, materials that you included as uploads or that we downloaded from from the class. And we will often as a team do strategy meetings anyways. And so sometimes when we know that a client is going through that, we'll pull out your notes and kind of walk through how to approach the situation with a client. So we're very thankful 
um, that you've helped us become better financial planners as well. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you've got a busy, busy spring planned. Um, I'm already talking spring since we're into the the winter months coming up with the podcast and um, just life in general with two beautiful, adorable children that are just smart as whips and um you know i look forward to hopefully seeing seeing them sometime in person um, again this year it's been a it's been long enough now that they've probably grown a lot of inches since i last saw them yeah they're they're big and um we talk about on amy on a regular basis so (laughs) so much fun with them (laughs) they were a riot Anytime. (laughs) I'll sugar them up and send them home whenever you want. (laughs) Par for the course. (laughs) That's an ant's job. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed both of our episodes as we've uh, put this together. And, uh, you know, I guess if you want to find us, Chris, you've mentioned your website. If you want to mention it again right now yes it is life after grief fp as in financial financial planning and then my consulting practice where we talked about the course is life after grief consulting.com and you can always find us at rooted pg rooted r-o-o-t-e-d p is in planning g is in group.com and chris and i really appreciate you listening to our podcasts and we hope you all enjoyed it See you on the next episode. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.